Why is coverage of ivermectin available as a medicine for humans and offered as a possible non-vaccine cure for COVID deliberately smeared for its use as a horse dewormer? Are flaws in coverage the consequence of a deliberate deception or flaws in human nature? Is it journalistically legitimate to exclude doctors and scientists with dissenting viewpoints on lockdowns, lap masking, and the vaccine from participating in mainstream discourse? Why do good journalists ask tough questions to politicians and business leaders while they throw easy ball questions to WHO, CDC, and Dr. Fauci? This week on the Global Research News Hour, as the dust settles on the pandemic, we'll try to coast a conversation on what seemed to go wrong with the way it was covered by the press, what may have been to be done to cover such issues accurately and responsibly, and even think about whether it is too late to save the media in question. In our first half hour, we talked to former mainstream journalist turned independent podcaster Alison Moreau about her issues with COVID news. Then, in our second half hour, we hear a voice from the other side, science educator, journalist, and podcast producer David Kattenberg about the so-called flaws in evidence not being what they are drawn up to be. On this week's program, The Media is Broken, Two Perspectives on Flaws in the Coverage of COVID. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of October 14, 2022. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization, produced in collaboration with Kappa's community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Creed, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Damage to energy infrastructure caused by Moscow's airstrikes in retaliation for the quote-unquote terrorist attack on the Crimean Bridge has forced Ukraine's government to cut off electricity exports to the European Union. The strikes removed a supply source that Kiev claims helped its partners reduce their reliance on power generated with Russian natural gas. Russia has already said that the missile strikes on Ukraine were a response to the damages done to the Crimean Bridge. President Vladimir Putin said Monday's airstrikes on Kiev and other major Ukrainian cities targeting military energy and communications infrastructure came in response to Ukraine's attack on the strategic Crimean bridge on Saturday. If there are further attempts to conduct terrorist attacks on our soil, Russia will respond firmly and on a scale corresponding to the threats created against Russia, Putin announced. That comes from the article, Europe's Dark Winter Woes Worsen. 
Ukraine stops exporting electricity to Europe. By Max Slavel, posted October 12th, originally published on shtfplan.com. Abnormal blood clotting was one of the first mysterious health effects to emerge in the COVID pandemic, first as an effect of the natural infection and later as a side effect of the COVID jabs. By mid-March 2021, 20 countries had suspended the use of AstraZeneca's COVID shot, either in full or in part, following reports of deadly blood clots. In December 2021, a team of international scientists detailed the mechanism behind the AstraZeneca jab's propensity to trigger blood clots. The shell of the vector, a weakened chimpanzee cold virus, in some people acts like a magnet and attracts platelets. Your body mistakes these platelets as a threat and produces antibodies to fight them, resulting in dangerous blood clots. That comes from the article Abnormal Blood Clotting, The Trail of Blood from the COVID Jabs by Dr. Joseph Mercola, posted October 12th, originally published on Dr. Mercola's censored library. No doubt the West's move is precedent-setting, namely to prescribe for geopolitical reasons the price at which an oil-producing country is entitled to export its oil. If it is Russia today, it can as well be Saudi Arabia or Iraq tomorrow. The G7 decision, if it gets implemented, will erode OPEC's key role regulating the global oil market. Therefore, the OPEC is proactively pushing back its decision to cut down oil production by 2 million barrels per day and keep the oil price above $90 per barrel makes a mockery of the G7 decision. That comes from the article, A Perfect Storm in U.S. Foreign Policy, by M.K. Kumar, posted October 12th, originally published on Indian Punchline. And the focal illusion is that when Ukraine becomes a member of NATO, the country will prosper, just as, for example, North Macedonia prospered in the same organization. Ukraine has thus decided that those who are further away from it are closer to it, not only geographically, but also spiritually and culturally, those who despise Ukrainians just as much as Russians, if not more. That contempt is hidden for only a moment in the name of strategic reasons, and it will last for a few more days after the end of the war, regardless of its outcome. And then everything will return to normal. Solidarity with Ukrainians who remain in the West will be replaced by intolerance towards foreigners who burden the social system, take jobs, raise the crime rate, and lower the salaries of domestic workers. That comes from the article Manipulated Ukraine by Dr. Vladislav P. Sotirovich, posted October 12th. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar.
Well, this is Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour, and we are joined on our show by a former member of mainstream media. Alison Moreau is a former television journalist. She's the recipient of two Emmy Awards, as well as the Society of Professional Journalists Sigma Delta Chi Award for Excellence in Journalism. She's currently a media analyst and free speech advocate. Morrow left traditional television media to pursue a career as an online personality publishing content on multiple platforms. She was also hired to shoot wildlife videos for the uh, Washington Department of National, Natural, National Resources, but got fired from DNR for refusing to comply with what she saw as an unjust requirement. She has channels on YouTube, Rockfin, Odyssey, and Rumble, uh, and she's doing the kind of journalism that many of us uh, welcomes, myself included. Alison Moreau, uh, welcome to the program. It, it's good to finally have you. Before we begin, is there anything more you would like to briefly say about your personal journey before we get into the subject of COVID coverage? Sure. So you were talking about how I got fired. It was the Washington State Department of Natural Resources. They're the wildfire fighting state agency. And I was hired to shoot wildfire videos. So interviewing firefighters, for instance, about what it's like or people who have lost their homes. Very unrelated to to COVID, <laughs> public health, uh, viruses, anything like that. But they had a vaccine mandate for employees. And I had my podcast on the side, which they were aware of when they hired me and was doing or doctors who were being silenced during the pandemic when they would speak about alternative viewpoints to what most of us were hearing in mainstream news. And my bosses told me that in order to maintain my employment, I had to stop interviewing anybody who undermined a vaccine mandate as they saw it. That's what they said I was doing, even though it was in my own time and my own you know, personal gear in the United States, allegedly, we have a constitution. We have something called the First Amendment. When you work for the government, the government's supposed to abide by that. Uh, and they, like I said, they knew I had a podcast when they hired me because of their vaccine mandate and because what they saw was undermining their vaccine mandate. They said in order to maintain employment, I had to stop talking to those people publicly and I refused to do that. And so uh, they fired me. And I, I only wanted to correct the record on that so people could understand I was working for an agency that was not even related to to public health in in that sense. You know, I mean, maybe I guess you could say wildfire burning people's homes down is in some way a public health issue, but not the pandemic of of what we've been dealing with over the last couple of years, not related to that. So, you know, and I work for the government. So people kind of can understand there there's a, a lot of line crossing that's happened over the last couple of years when it comes to even the government respecting people's right to talk about these issues and private companies especially have locked down on speech but the government allegedly is supposed to to give you the freedom to to do that on your own time you know i wasn't representing them or anything and uh, so i i make sure that people know about that because i i want people to understand that if you think that the you're getting the full spectrum of information out there you're not because there's not just big tech censorship there's pressure from employers for people to stay quiet and and i'm i'm an example of that you know i i had to uh, find new health insurance for our family. Uh, we lost a significant amount of income and it was worth it to me because I, I just felt like, you know, it, it, I, I just could not, I couldn't wake up, you know, the same person every day if I made that deal because I was so concerned about 
about speech during COVID and still am. I still am even, you know, as we're kind of coming out of, I think the lockdowns over some of it, not all of it, but, but yeah, I think it's just important for people to understand the pressures that are out there because if, if you thought that, you know, you're, I don't know who does think that, but if you're still thinking that you're, you're being introduced regularly to a wide variety of ideas about this, you're not. And, and there's many reasons why. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I always felt that as a journalist, I, I'm supposed to question authority, you know, and you're just talking about, you know, somebody says, thou shalt not interview, um, you know, state authority, business authority, even fellow activists based on questions that skeptical listeners might have. And I listen to mainstream media these days, and, and there's no questioning, really, that I can see. I mean, they're, they're compliant, you know, get, get your vaccine, mask up, lockdown, even though I, I came across articles in the medical journals even though I've spoken to, to, I guess we could call dissident doctors that can explain some of the objections they have, because media are always talking to experts whose advice isn't questioned. It, it's more compliance than questioning. Um, so I, I felt a little at odds with the way I've been doing journalism for more than 14 years, but this was a unique situation, right? I mean, so, so I, I wanted to get your impression. It is mainstream media's approach to, to covering coverage from all angles as accurate and, and responsible as it could have been. Could I've had been. journalists on my podcast talking about the precedent for this kind of activism or propaganda dating back decades. And and so I think, though, it, it I, I do believe there's been an amplification of it. I don't think it's necessarily unique in nature. I, I do believe, at least in the United States, that in, in around the 2016 era when Trump was running for president and then was subsequently elected, there was a uh, hysteria in the corporate news about him as a unique danger and outlets like the New York times, for instance, were writing articles about how they had to do journalism differently with him because he was challenging their norms of objectivity. That's, that's literally a headline from the New York times in 2016. They, they had convinced themselves that there was a unique danger. And because there was a unique danger, they had to do journalism uniquely. And then COVID was the next thing that came around unique danger. We got to do journalism uniquely. And I think one thing that people get wrong about corporate news, at least from my experience about the establishment press is they think that a lot of these people know better, but they're just, uh, they just, well, they're paid by big pharma. So they, they know who butters their bread and, and they have to go out and repeat this propaganda. But in fact, the vast majority, I think, are are manipulated and brainwashed by the same information that they're using to manipulate and brainwash the public. And and once you start to wake up and see it for what it is, it's it's almost impossible to maintain employment in that system. And not not simply because the managers will swat you or something if you, you start asking questions. Though in my career, I did have examples of direct censorship, but but mostly it's because the system itself is set up to keep you ignorant, really. At, at least in television news, you have very little time to do any research. You're not necessarily encouraged to ask questions from the perspective that you have brought up. And and you're often told that if you're on the right side or the good, you know, you're one of the good guys um, that you're you're here to protect people. And so so, well, oh, gosh, if we're here to protect people, then we we can't talk to that person, that doctor. We can't talk to that, that scientist. And and because they're not taking the time and, and frankly, are not curious enough, really, to go and explore some of the ideas that that have been voiced by these alternative uh to scientific thought leaders, you know, the, the ones that like you said, you've interviewed or I've interviewed because they're not curious. They don't take the time or they're not given the time. 
they believe what they see CNN saying or or the New York Times or somebody else. They just they just read the wires, Reuters or the Associated Press. And, and when they see words like extremist or anti-vaxxer or misinformation, they just take that as gospel. They don't they don't think to themselves the way I do. The second I see the term misinformation or extremist, it's the first clue I have that there's this this there's something in this piece I'm reading that is manipulative and and likely uh false and and it's definitely biased because those are those are like the terms that signal to the brainwashed population that they should be scared of what they're about to read but they signal to me that there's something i need to know here because those are those are sort of the terms that have have arisen to i think um continue to divide and conquer people and and so you know thinking back of the last six to eight years, I think the biggest difference is just that somehow journalists have have convinced themselves that with unique dangers and they get to decide what the danger is and whether it's unique, they just have to act differently and and they just have to run interference instead of instead of running journalism. I, and I and I, I don't know how to turn that around, but that's that's the biggest difference I've seen. So there's a certain amount of uh, there's a tendency to actually keep these people from really opening up their minds. I mean, it's it's like self censorship, in other words, that's uh, that's at work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you, but but you don't even know you're censoring. I mean, self censorship's like I know I'm I'm shutting up. But but most journalists that I I knew and I was keep in mind, like, you know, I was one of them for many many years, and I think a lot of my journey has been trying to understand how. Frankly, I'm not not trying to like brag or anything, but I considered myself a, a rather intelligent, inquisitive person. I have a master's degree. Um, you know, I, I I studied theology and psychology, so I'm sitting here with a master's degree and in sort of the way people think about the greatest issues and and their dysfunction that they bring along with them. You know, the the meaning of life and all these things. And here I was, and I thought I was smart, and you know, I was hosed by a lot of this information too. It it took uh, many years for me to gain the competency in in my field of expertise to start knowing what I didn't know and then to start asking questions about what I didn't know. And once I finally started getting answers about them, then I could see the rest of the illusion that I had been living in. So I, I'm not, you know, my hands are not um, clean. I, I was part of the system. And and like I said, I, I you know, how, how did, how did it work on me? I, I think, like I said, I didn't even know what I didn't know. So, so it wouldn't even be truthful to say I was self-censoring. I was, I was, um, you know, I was gladly participating in the propaganda because I thought it was the truth. I, and and the second I realized that I was going to have to censor, that's basically the beginning of the end of my career. When I when once I was aware that there were topics that you couldn't touch or you couldn't ask questions about them in certain ways, and then I was self censoring, then I was done. Um, yeah. So so it, it, you know the vast majority of them are true believers, and I and I was too at one point. Well, what when 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 we had information coming forward. Uh, and we could see even doctors who were, well, I, I'm not so sure, maybe we should trust them. But then it started coming in through the, the VAERS numbers, and uh, a lot of them started to say, oh, hey, wait, wait a second. I mean, uh, this doesn't look good when you got higher injury rates and higher death rates being measured uh, than all of the other vaccines combined since 1990. And uh, I, I, I just wonder, I mean, is it responsible for people to... Uh, continue to repeat the line of of, of the, this vaccine is is safe and effective anyway. Uh, I mean, even when uh, the media, I mean, what what's what's behind that? In other words, is this uh, just the, this tendency to to bow before this set of experts, but not this set of experts? 
I wish I I wish I knew why why the media trusts the government the way it does. I I don't I don't really quite understand if if it's maybe just um they they see themselves in the same class of information disseminators or the same class of of public servants. I guess I don't I don't I don't know why there isn't more skepticism of them. I I I think in some cases the media's been very skeptical of the government if it's if it's not their guy or their gal who's you know on their team so they have the capacity to do it but why they accept it you know in certain cases as gospel without asking any questions i i honestly the only thing i could come up with is that if it already aligns with their values or their bias then they don't ask questions if it doesn't then they do ask questions and they don't see the person on their team and then then they're willing to be skeptical so it really i think has a lot to do with confirmation bias and and you know who's playing for their team but no i don't think it was ever journalism to just repeat the line safe and effective in the same way that whatever you think about ivermectin as a, a, a treatment for covid it was so it was so factually inaccurate to go with the government line that it's a livestock dewormer you know that, that that's the only thing that it, it is and, and they ran with that too the, the government has these massive communication teams they pay tons of money with tax dollars to have communications people around them who are who are doing the messaging for them and it's effective it's effective on the journalists themselves so i think the safe and effective thing it just became it, it became a mantra that that everybody was it was like um you know if you didn't say that you had the scarlet a on your chest and and we could we would know that you were a crazy extremist if you didn't say it and it's it's a cheap easy line that that the especially TV news journalists who get no time and and don't really do a whole lot of research during the day and they have to keep their stories to very quick sound bites they could just say that safe and effective safe and effective safe and effective it's it's catchy and I, so I think it worked from from a, a, a manipulation standpoint not just the, for the public but but the, but the journalists themselves you know it just it's just catchy like I said it you know livestock dewormer it's a medicine made for livestock they they come up with these. There, there's a there's a it's available for humans right yeah yeah exactly and and that's what you know if you write the news for one thing i learned is that if you write the news for the newsroom if you're in some pr firm or you work for a hospital or you work for the government law enforcement whatever it is that they know the, the the ones who who have been in it for a while they know that that if you make it easy, like you you put stuff in in terms that they can just copy and paste or basically copy and paste, it, it's just super easy to understand it. You, you, you break it down in a non-complex way. They can get the story done in a couple of hours and have it on by four or five o'clock in the afternoon that, that you'll get on and they'll repeat your line and they won't even hardly ask any questions. I, I actually had a, a, a public uh, spokesperson for the highway patrol in Florida once tell me off the record that journalists are lazy and if you feed them story ideas every day, they will not be sniffing around your dirty laundry. I mean, he picked that up really well. Like, just keep giving them ideas that, oh, we'll do this story. We'll do this story. And so so the people who are running the propaganda know that. And, and yeah, I think the safe and effective thing was just one of those, like, just just say this. It's it's fast. It's easy. It, it, people can understand it. But it was never it was never researched enough for anyone to say that. You know, I mean, we, we just even no matter what you think about the the vaccines, there, there's no way you can say that they're safe and effective for everybody, every time, forever. You know, right. I mean, it, it, that's such a ridiculous thing. No medicine ever is. Even if you're somebody who's, who likes the vaccines, uh, you know, and thinks the vaccines are, are useful, 
I, I, I don't know how you could possibly say that they're they're safe and effective for everybody all the time. That's that's the most unscientific, ridiculous thing. And any journalist should have been able to pick up on that. But you're right. They repeated it. So you yeah. got to ask why. I what? guess just in, in in defense of the journalists, I mean, this was a situation where people where, where fear was a real factor. I mean, I mean, the, the, the media was striking fear in people. And and the, I suspect the journalists themselves were fearful, and so they don't want necessarily. I mean, they're they're going to be putting out information there. It's like, well, I I don't really know, but I mean, this is the direction I'm being given, so I I, I better put out there. I mean, uh, we talk about that that whole aspect and how that can uh, actually sculpt the the kind of content that's coming forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we get from. Well, I mean, from anybody, whether they're working in in the traditional legacy press or not, is, you know, it's a reflection of their humanity and are regularly encouraged to be critical and skeptical and think dangerously, if that makes sense. You know, not in the sense of like, you know, you're going to go kill someone, but I mean, dangerously intellectually, meaning you can go outside the lines and you could be a heretic. Maybe that would be the best, best word to use it. Unorthodox, somebody who's encouraged to, to look in unorthodox places or to think heretically about a particular issue without fear of ending up in HR or losing their job. And, and to just explore the idea and come back and let us know what you found that that's not that's not the ethos of most newsrooms. And and they're not, even if it, if it was, they don't even have the time. So it's, you're not encouraged and you don't have the time um, to explore these ideas. But so instead, you're right. Yeah, you get a reflection of what is encouraged, which is just speed and, and being concise and ratings and, and uh, getting people to watch longer and uh, getting your award and being liked by your peers. And, and yes, in a lot of ways too, depending on where you live, like a lot of people who make it in in the news business, they eventually end up in big cities. So they reflect a big city mentality. Well, big cities, you know, they tend to, a lot of people in urban areas think very similarly and people out in the country think differently in a lot of ways. Like I honestly think the urban rural divide in in many ways is, is more prominent than like left versus right. But, but if, if all you do is like go out with your friends from the newsroom and you live in New York city and you're not exposed to to people who have different ideas other than what you read about them in the New York Times, then you just think like, you know, Trump voters are like this or people who didn't get the vaccine are like that. They're, you know, domestic terrorists, they're extremists, they, they, they're they idiots. And, and you know, what's interesting too, Michael, is that I remember when I was, when I was um, doing some media analysis back, like, I don't know, it was probably a year ago uh, when the vaccine rollout happened, maybe it was a little lo- longer than that. And, uh, you know, they would do these stories about why people aren't getting the vaccine. And they would always put people on that would say, well, I just think it's the mark of the beast or I think it's, uh, you know, it's anti-science or they, they wouldn't they would never put anybody on who had a cogent argument about it because, you know, I, I think they that if they heard somebody make claims that they would then have to research and rebut they just either don't want to do that or they don't have the time to do that. So what they did was they just put these overgeneralized and sometimes like, you know, ridiculous statements on that nobody can 
refute? Because how would you like, for instance, how would you refute it's the mark of the beast? Like, how does anybody argue? I mean, I can't confirm or deny that for you. I have no clue. There's no way I could do research on that. I've never seen an article, you know, a study done on, you know, scientifically, but they'll put that on for that reason, because then it, it number one, stereotypes the person who's choosing not to get the vaccine. And there's really nothing you can say to argue against it because it's just, it's, it's, it's almost, it's irrefutable because there's, how would, how would you? And, 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 and then they leave out all of the scientifically debatable arguments. And that's purposeful, I think. I mean, are they sitting there saying, I'm doing this because I want to brainwash America to take this vaccine when I know that it's not, it's not always safe and effective? No, I don't think they're thinking that. I, I, I think they really believe in the vaccine. I mean, I think they're true believers and, and they just don't want to do the research and look into it because they've been, once again, they've been told that that's going down an intellectual path that could lead to destruction. And if you're one of the good guys, you don't explore those ideas. You shut them down. I had bosses say that to me, um, you know, that we're not going to, we're not going to entertain these ideas because those people are just lunatics and, and they just look at it that way. About 30 seconds left, but I just wanted to get a sense of the kind of feedback that you've gotten for your program and, and presenting this information to the crowds. Well, it depends on the person. I think, you know, I do have some journalists who follow me, some former managers of newsrooms who follow me and are really appreciative of what I'm doing. I'm sure there are people out there who think I'm totally nuts. They don't tell me, so I don't know, um, except for there have been times where I've tried to reach out to younger journalists when I see them saying something that is obvious propaganda from the government or someone else. And I reach out and say, hey, you know, can I talk to you offline about how this stuff works? I wish somebody had told me about it when I was your age or when I had started out, you know, and, and sometimes they'll block me. So then I know, all right, well, that, <laughs> you know, what, what they're not saying tells me enough. But I think overall, the public appreciates it. And I think more than anything, I just want people to know that we're all we're we're all capable of being uh, manipulated. So just be self-aware, like we're all capable, whether you're journalists or outside of it, ask questions, be curious, never take off your thinking cap. And even when you're watching me or listening to Michael, same thing, question everything. And um, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Allison Monroe, a former mainstream media journalist turned media analyst and podcaster click out her site, AllisonMoreauMedia.com. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Well, this week, I would like to tackle the, the question of journalistic principles and, and journalistic uh, pursuits in the wake of the COVID pandemic. A man I would like to uh, weigh in on uh, this subject is none other than uh, my former radio colleague at CKUW, uh, David Kattenberg. Uh, David Kattenberg is a, a former science educator, a journalist, web pub publisher, a podcaster, and a human rights advocate, formerly from Winnipeg, Canada. He's now based in Breda in the, New in the Netherlands. Uh, his reports from the Marshall Islands, Southeast Asia, Asia, uh, India, Africa, Palestine, and Latin America, and, and from across Canada have appeared on CBC Radio, Radio Netherlands, and Deutsche Welle uh, Radio, as well as his own Green Planet Monitor web magazine. And he's also a contributor to the Real News Network. He, he was uh, also a longstanding contributor to CQW Radio and, and served as a journalistic advisor and mentor to myself and, and other fellow volunteers. And, and he both specializes in journalistic ethics and also has a PhD 
in health sciences from McMaster University uh, and uh, teaches microbiology, anatomy, and physiology. So with that background, I, I think he brings considerable insight into the subject at hand. So Dr. Dave, welcome to this conversation. It, it's good to have you here. Hey, Michael, thank you for that introduction. I've got gravitas. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap there. Thank okay. you so much, Michael. It's good to be with you. Yeah. Lockdowns were hard on a society in themselves and, and founded on the, uh, the principle of controlling it as much as possible when really it is impossible to, to contain this virus. Uh, there are doctors uh, on both sides, apparently, of the story. That, so, so we should have an obligation to get both sides of the story, I think. And then my feeling is that we treat with uh, the doctors who don't agree with the recommendations of the CDC and the WHO, the way we treat the Flat Earth Society uh, or climate change skeptics. Uh, is, may I ask you, is that journalistically justified in your opinion? Well, Michael, I'd say I turn that around. I'd say that, you know, there are people who say, you know, we need to hear both sides of the climate change argument. Sure, a lot of scientists say the climate change is real and carbon dioxide heats the atmosphere and humans are responsible, but there, there's some scientists who disagree with that. And we need to be hearing both sides. Uh, no, I think that argument would be, you know, flatly rejected by, you know, people, people, of, uh, people who are aware of the situation and who are critical, who are media consumers. And so, I, you know, for sure, there are, just as there are scientists who challenge the science of climate change, there are physicians and scientists who challenge the science of vaccinology. And uh, I don't know, media is a, a huge universe. We have much more than just the mainstream media. We've got alternative media and progressive media and radical media and underground media and you know social media media. And people can get the, all the information they could possibly want, um, but you know, if, I'm just as likely to say, "Oh, people need to hear both sides of the argument about the COVID vaccine," as I am to say that people have the right to hear both sides of the argument about climate change. Okay, well, I, I know that in, in mainstream presentations, I mean, think of things like the, uh, the cross-country checkup, CBC, for example, your major. Um, when they, when they present an argument, they they, they have the you know, say an anti-mask activist or an anti-vaccine activist on one side, and then you have the expert on the other side. You know, essentially, uh, this just that setup will marginalize the statements of the dissident people. And uh, I mean, I know a certain degree to a certain extreme that a lot of these doctors who have a dissident opinion and and have credentials to comment, I should think, but because they have the wrong opinion, they, they are not allowed on, on in the mainstream broadcasts, okay? So given, again, given the, the, the gravity of this situation, I mean, can you just let it stand like that where you have, you know, that lack of balance in the, in the, uh, in the airwaves? Well, you know, Michael, you and I know that the mass media, we're just talking about the mainstream media, there are all sorts of ideas and thoughts and dissonant views and perspectives that are blocked out of the mainstream media. You could be talking about Russia, Ukraine, or you can talk about Israel, Palestine, or you can talk about heavens, anything, any, just about any kind of geopolitical situation you wish to look at. 
um, listening to watching the mainstream media is a uh, it's 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 a very uh, depressing endeavor indeed and i even listen to al jazeera here in the netherlands i watch al jazeera all the time which is you know better than a whole lot of other media outlets but i watch it all the time and i'm often screaming and yelling what a bunch of what a terrible interview that was you're just tossing softballs if I had gotten to speak with that person, I would have asked this. So the mainstream media is a, you know, it's 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 it's, it's a sea of a sea of information, which where it's very dissatisfying a lot of the time. So you have to pick and choose. You got to read all your sources, listen to all your sources, explore alternative media and be an intelligent media consumer and get the information you want and need. Um, I agree with you, the mainstream media, right? You tell me, oh, the mainstream media is excluding alternative views about, you know, face masks and vaccines. Well, they, they exclude all sorts of information. But the fact of the matter is face masks, wearing face masks cuts transmission. I'm talking right now. And you don't see this, and I don't see it, but I'm as I'm talking, I'm releasing a, a, a flow of particles into the air that are floating around in my apartment and will so for hours. Wearing masks cuts transmission. So anti-face mask activists, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of time for them. They have the right to talk about what they're talking about, but should the mass media be granting space and time to anti, you know, face mask activists? Well, I don't know. They, they've got plenty of opportunity to get their messages through social media. Heaven knows. I, I don't lend much credence to their positions, although I accept the fact that some people, people have difficulties. Who wants to wear a face mask? Mm. You know, well, here in the Netherlands, I, you know, I'm often, when I first got here to the Netherlands and Late summer of 2021, I was the only person wearing a face mask. All the Dutch, nobody was wearing a face mask. I'll tell you, nobody. And then at this point, there were no lockdowns in the Netherlands. There hadn't yet been. There wasn't at the time that I arrived in end of August 2021. It wouldn't be till the fall of 2021 when suddenly the Dutch government in implemented face mask rules. Welcome to the club. I was wearing a face mask. So no, I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for people who scream and shout about face masks, yeah. with the exception of those who are, uh, people have the right to f speak freely. Okay. Um, well, th there was a, like, just to, to build on that, that question of, of the, 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 uh, the vaccines being safe and effective. I mean, that, that's something that we were told by the, the major institutions. Uh, you have the, the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, uh, Vaccine Adverse Event uh, Results System, which uh, showed the, uh, the, the, the number of injuries and, and deaths uh, due to, uh, in, in the consequence of having the vaccine, uh, it was the most profound uh, among this, like basically every vaccine taken since 1990 didn't come to that, all combined didn't compare to this sort of event. And, and so you have so many of these, uh, again, dissident doctors who are, are questioning the safety of the, uh, of the vaccine. And, and so, I mean, we, regardless of, of, of what effect it have, I mean, 
it all it also had a negative effect that that maybe that that we should have been examining and and looking at more carefully. Um, I don't know. What what do you think of that situation? Well, of course, we need to examine, uh, scrutinize the the development and <clears throat> the improvement of vaccines. <clears throat> excuse me, like whatever whatever they're they're being developed for. I mean, you know, people should citizens and people should be governments should be mindful of health safety. But I and and the, and and the, the consequences of using a brand new vaccine or any other drug product, pharmaceutical. But I'm looking at the European Medicines Agency website. This is the official website. This is an official website of the European Union, European Medicines Agency. And as of September 2022, September 2022, just a month ago, 912 million doses of vaccines have been given to people in the, the in the European Union and the European Economic Area, almost a almost a billion doses. And, and out, out of these almost billion doses, there have been something like um, one point, roughly one point two million, one point two million out of almost a billion adverse effects. That's about uh, a point two percent. So that's two out of a thousand, two out of 1,000 uh, adverse effect. Uh, and I'm looking at it here, like, you know, the, the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine in Europe, 665 million doses uh, administered, uh, 920,000 uh, adverse effects. Well, you add up the adverse effects, it's like over a million out of about, a, you know, over a billion it's a small percentage, but it's a lot of adverse effect. I, well, on absolute terms, you can imagine lots of people know, people know people who've received the vaccine and have had adverse effects. And I, I actually personally know somebody, a friend of mine, who suffered unpleasant, adverse, longstanding, long-term effects from the vaccine. Unfortunately, that, per, that person's one of the unfortunate, very few. But... Um, there, you know, percentage-wise, adverse effects have been very low, and I, you know, I don't have comparative statistics how many people suffer adverse effects from taking, uh, you know, acetaminophen, or from from taking, um, you know, Benadryl. I'm sure there are people who have adverse effects, very low number, but if you add them up globally, it's a very large number. So the media. Has, has the responsibility to report on the experiences of those people. It's an interesting story. It's a true story, a real story. And it's an interesting story, you know, how, you know, 0.2% of people who receive vaccines suffer adverse effects. Like, why do they suffer adverse effects? Well, what's, what's the, um, the, the, you know, pathology or the medicine or the genetics underlying that? They're physicians who can talk about that. But the, the message it must be conveyed is that vaccines work mm. and the COVID vaccine worked. I mean, I, I have lots of criticisms about the rollout of the, vac the COVID vaccine, you know, how drug companies have profited, you know, from you know, public, public, vast amounts of public expenditures to finance the development of these vaccines. We can talk about all that stuff, the politics of healthcare and of the pharmaceutical industry, but 
as far as the efficacy of efficacy of vaccines like the COVID vaccine, they they work. Yeah, and uh, and the media needs needs to has the responsibility to tell people that, but it also has the responsibility to, uh, you know, uh, provide well as you call them alternative voices to express their views. And I've heard a few, I've heard a few dissident voices that are expressing points of view that are both legitimate and interesting. Yeah, um, but, but largely, largely centering around the politics of of drug discovery and vaccine development and economics of it. Okay. Well, you know, there were, uh, there, in, there was documented in, in the, the, the medical journals, uh, a couple of, uh, basically, uh, formulas involving ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, who, which, uh, which, which indicated that those things were being used, could be used as well for, for which had good results. And, uh, it's also important to note that uh, these vaccines, I mean, were they, they were not approved in a formal way. They, they had something called emer emergency use authorization, which allowed it to, to, to be used. So that, that's, that's different from the way you would nor normally present a vaccine. But the, the fact is that if you had other things, you know, like, like the ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, and so on, that uh, the idea that it's, 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 it's being marginalized in favor of the vaccine, arguably because of the the, the vaccines are, uh, you know, may, maybe the pharmaceutical companies uh, get a certain benefit out of it. You might say. Uh, so, so I well, mean, you know, I I would say a couple of things. Firstly, uh, you know, really, Michael, honestly, I, I've heard about the debate about ivermectin and chloroquine, and I I don't really have anything intelligent to say about it. Uh, secondly, because I've not poured through the data and the science. Secondly, you know, I, I know that there are those who, who argue that they work. And I know that there are studies that have said, no, they don't work. Yeah. Uh, it's really complicated. It's hard for ordinary people to wade, wade through this stuff. Um, but I've heard that ivermectin, I've heard that the ivermectin, ivermectin has been debunked. But, uh, you know, I, I can't put myself forward as an expert. I can't assess the science. I, I, thirdly, I know that pharmaceutical industries defend their right to make lots and lots of money. And I have no doubt that, uh, you know, pharmaceutical industries, uh, you know, f defend their right to produce the, you know, the, the definitive drug uh, and exclude others that, that may be cheaper or easier. Yeah. Um, I, I heard an interview some back a year ago with some farm, you know, drug researcher who I gather, I think this may have been on Democracy Now, somebody who communicated with the, the drug administration saying, I've got this brilliant way to produce, you know, an mRNA vaccine that's much cheaper. And he just got sidelined. I mean, I, I don't know the details about it, but I can believe that kind of scenario. So... Well, I, and I also know that huge sums of money, public money, were spent uh, to, to support Pfizer and 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 Johnson and Johnson and the rest of them, uh, Oxford Zeneca, to produce their vaccines, and that money needs to come back. Uh, you know, I actually think that countries like Canada need to develop the capacity uh, to, to develop their own vaccines publicly. And there used to be an agency in Canada that did that. 
I mean, amongst the, the first vaccines in the world were developed in Canada by a publicly funded, publicly owned agency that was shut down, as I understand, in order to allow private sector to move in. So Canada, thinking about Canada, needs to have its own you know, vaccine producing agency that produces vaccines because they're going to be more pandemics coming down the pipeline. They're coming, they're coming our way right now. And we need the capacity to develop vaccines quickly, effective vaccines quickly and cheaply. And, uh, and, and the government has a role in this. And there's huge resistance from the pharmaceutical industry, you can imagine. So I'm no uh, apologist for the you know, the, the, the corporate vaccine industry, but I, I, vaccines work. Um, they have side effects. Um, they need to be developed carefully and monitored closely and rolled out carefully, used with caution, um, developed and, and, and rolled out because they work. Okay. I, I'd, I'd like to, to finally get your own take. I mean, uh, in terms of the journalistic coverage, uh, do you see any aspect of the coverage of COVID that was, in your view, deficient? That was a good question, Michael. You ask tough questions. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of anything immediately off the top of my head. But journalists, you know, ordinary journalists in newsrooms, they work hard to make sense of information regardless of how complicated it is and there's nothing more complicated than science information and i you know i think that, you know i listened to the daily reports from the chief medical officer in manitoba what was his name back in 20, 2021 uh rusin rusin yeah yeah brent rusin they were fun to listen to and he, he worked hard and journalists asked him lots of questions Mm -hmm. They asked really tough questions. He went on for ages answering all manner of questions from honest journalists. I have a lot of respect for you know Manitoba journalists who were asking those questions. Uh, people like you and I, and, and he, they're all ordinary people, really, as far as health sciences go. Um, I, no, I can't really think of anything. I, you know, I, I might, I, you know, I might throw out what I said in the beginning that there are, you know, there, you know, 0.2% of people have suffered bad reactions. It would have been nice for journalists to kind of probe those without debunking vaccines or fueling vaccine denial to, to bring those re real people forward to tell their stories and get serious scientists to, to, to explain these phenomena. And these are scientists with, who would have had had to have the courage to, to grab the brass ring, as it were, and explain these things. Because, you know, COVID denial, vaccine denial was, was and maybe still is rife. So it takes a little bit of courage for a doctor to say, yeah, you know, there are negative reactions. People have negative reactions. And it's, it's crucial for us to understand why those negative reactions occur. It doesn't help to say, oh, it's only 0.2% of the population. If I'm the one with a negative reaction, that wouldn't make me happy to hear that I'm just a tiny, tiny minority and let's forget about them. 
because it's interesting to understand why these 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 bad reactions occur in small numbers of people. It helps us develop better vaccines. So journalists, you know, might have could have. I don't know. Perhaps they did. Uh, sh- should have developed stories about those rare cases. All the while stressing that ninety nine point nine percent of the time vaccines work and people walk away happy and and protected. Interesting. David, it's been a pleasure speaking to you on the show. Uh, Thanks for your time. And and hopefully your work uh, takes off uh, to new stages of journalism there in the Netherlands. Upwards and onwards and and best, uh, much love to the CKUW's listeners and in Winnipeg, support CKUW, will you? So that was my attempt at getting two sides to this story. I know I was eager to state some of my own concerns. Uh, Apologies if your concern did not get mentioned. We have quite a few minutes left in our program, so I will take the opportunity to read a couple of letters from listeners. First, a a perspective of my coverage about the COVID vaccine. Uh, It was in reference to one of my earlier reports from way back in 2020 when I had a guest commenting on how the vaccine might be used in the context of the digitalized ID. Nathan from here in Winnipeg wrote, I'm a regular listener of your show and quite enjoy it. I was shocked to hear your interview today with Peter Koenig discussing Bill Gates, nanochips, vaccines, 5G and WHO conspiracy theories. These conspiracies are full of logical flaws, logical holes, and are so beyond reason and sound science that I was was truly baffled that you take the time to air this misinformation. I will grant you a vaccine is definitely being rushed and could have adverse health effects, but nanotechnology and 5G are the stuff of pure science fiction at this point. Your guest didn't provide any scientific links or proof of his claims at all. I'd love to see some if they exist, please. I'm open-minded and appreciate hearing information that's not available through mainstream media, but based on what I can tell, you are helping spread harmful false conspiracies. On the other hand, I got an email from uh, Joan in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. This is in reference to a more recent conversation I had with Peter Hotez, who boasts about the value of vaccines and, and puts down dissenters. She writes, He praises the FDA That shows he has no in-depth knowledge of the FDA's record, nor those who left their jobs because they could not tolerate the criminality of some of their actions. Advising pregnant women to get the COVID vaccine. He never mentions those healthy victims, especially the children who have suffered and or died. He condemns the experts you mention. Unless I missed it, Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, was never mentioned. Why not? accuses you of demonizing pharmaceutical companies. Well, if you did, good for you. His statements that HCQ, ivermectin, and zinc don't work is simply not supported. It is a lie. What about Dr. Zelenko saying, saving at least 1,000 lives with this protocol? His telling you to be careful where you get your information is the height of hypocrisy. I realize you are under pressure to entertain the other side, but that should not be 
Why is it that the side Dr. Hotez represents is so full of money and lies, but is never challenged the way you, the truth side, are? So if you have a question, a comment, or criticism about this program or other programs, feel free to email me at globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. If you could, you should also forward your thoughts to our program director at CKUW. That's at programming at ckuw.ca. Let him know what you think of my shows. Uh, we know th that there are a multitude of views out there, so keep in mind the need to stimulate meaningful discussion with the need to balance against sensitivities involved. I mean, for example, you're warning people in advance if, if people are going to be triggered or something by the traumas and other issues plaguing us uh, during this uh, two-and-a-half-year uh, war against the, the virus. On another topic, I, I've heard about uh, my former guest, uh, Sukharit Bhakti, is a medical doctor, medical microbiologist in ba bacteriology, virology, parasitology, immunologist, and infectious disease epidemiologist. He served for 22 years as editor-in-chief of the journal Medical Microbiology and Immunology, which was founded by Robert Koch. In a recent speech to the people of Greece, he claimed the present gene therapy injections are highly dangerous and that their use was never anything to do with preventing disease. I don't know at this point if I will have him on my program, uh, but I, I would certainly like to talk to him again anyway. Uh, let me know if you want to hear it, and uh, we'll have someone else to perhaps rebut him. But for now, I will focus back on events in Ukraine. With the recent escalation with the attack on the Crimean Bridge, followed by missile assaults on cities all over Ukraine, a kind of uh, a shock and awe Russian style, uh, plus the midterm elections in the U.S. Uh, affecting for uh, a short period uh, foreign policy, we, we will discuss it with our guest, and uh, as well as other things the media didn't get right um, uh, as our guests see it. So uh, all that coming up next week. One final note. Despite what you've heard on the airwaves, you should always consult a physician before you attempt treatment of COVID or any other illness. That's it for now. Thank you for joining me. We will be back again in seven days. Listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.